Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon to all our listeners. You have joined the Perkins Platform, um, our monthly platform on uh, educational leadership. We've had a number of uh, outstanding guests over the last uh, five months or so, and um, today is no exception. Today we have with us uh, Mr. Jean-Claude Brizard, who is a recently the former um, superintendent, uh, CEO, actually, of uh, Chicago Public Schools. Um, we will have a conversation today on politics and urban education. Uh, I would like to welcome uh, Mr. Brizard. Mr. Brizard, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yes. Um, to our listeners um, that uh, may be new to the show, just going to invite you um, for the next 30 minutes to join us in just a, a conversation with Mr. Brizard. Uh, we have um, some time at the end that we dedicate to uh, entertaining your calls uh, and any questions that you have by dialing 347-826-9029. Again, 347 826 9029. Uh, feel free to call in. We'll give you a prompt again at the end of the show when it's time to uh, take those calls. But for now, we're going to jump right in with uh, Mr. Brizard. And uh, um, and again, I just want to welcome you. We're really pleased and honored to have you on the show. Um, a lot of uh, uh, what we know, we hear a lot about Chicago, one of the uh, great cities in the Midwest here in the country. Um, we hear a lot about Chicago and it's highly political system of city government and um, uh, wanted to get your um, take on the politics in in Chicago specifically as it relates to um, education and and one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, um, is were you surprised at all um, as an outsider looking in we, we can only see what um, what or know what we see on uh, television or read in the newspaper, uh, but I'm interested in knowing, were you surprised with what you saw during your first 100 days as a CEO in Chicago Public Schools? You know, uh, Dr. Perkins, before I actually jump into that question, I love the topic. Uh, let me just tell you why. When I became a principal, um, I was talking to, to my to my mom. Uh, she is, I credit her with being in ed urban education. She was a teacher. And I said to her, I said, you told me this was about teaching kids. Um, this really is about politics. <laughs> um, so for me, that was a huge lesson learned going back to 1999, my first year as, as a school principal. But coming back to, to Chicago in my first 100 days, um, you know, some things um, surprised me and, and many things did not. Um, I know I did my homework before coming into the city. Um, I have friends who've lived here a long time, and one said to me, you are under no illusion uh, to the challenges you're going to be facing into, in, in, in this position, uh, and I was not. Um, but I, I was surprised um, in, in the sense that uh, perhaps some of the uh, deep, embedded, ingrained systemic issues that plagued the city a long time um, really did not seem to be on the mind of a lot of people. Some, uh, quite a few folks understood there was a, there was a crisis, there was an issue um, in the school system, but I, I really was um, a bit surprised um, that enough people perhaps did not make enough noise about some of the issues around disproportionality, around um, the dropout in Chicago. I mean, just to give you one data point, Chicago has the same number of dropouts as New York City schools, and New York City is about two and a half times the size of Chicago. For, wow. for, for no one to be raising a huge... I mean, 
Some people do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. no one did. But sure. I didn't see a concerted sort of level of, I, I say anger, perhaps. Maybe there's a better word amongst enough people in the city. That was a bit surprising for me, frankly. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, you know, uh, I remember during my studies at Teachers College, uh, the, one of my professors said uh, about um, public education, all that is not pedagogy is politics. Yes. Yes. And um and I think uh having also served on a school board in Connecticut uh encountered that uh um however I was on an appointed board um which you know really leads me to my next question uh, that I I was mm-hmm. interested I know in Chicago you you had uh an appointed board as well um um unlike most of the um, cities in the country have elected boards of education for different reasons, different city government styles from uh, selectmen to uh, city councils and aldermanic chambers. Um, but you've worked on both. You've worked with both. Yes. Um, yes. Where I know, uh, and and being someone who has come up through the ranks, I know you were uh, a teacher um, in in very difficult situations in schools in, in New York City, uh, up to a principal and then an area superintendent and then a superintendent. Um, and so I know that you worked with some of my colleagues in Rochester um, as uh, as a superintendent, and, and that was an elected board. And then as an appointed board in Chicago, very similar to the one um, structurally is the one that I had served as the president of the board of here in New Haven, Connecticut. And so I was just wondering, did you have a preference or do you have a preference uh, uh, between an appointed and elected board? Certainly understanding that the players in each are different, but uh, what, what did you experience uh, between yeah. the two? You know, let me just add one more layer to that. Working in New York City under mayoral control, uh, yes. or even before that, when you had different board presidents um, um, appointing board members, and the, and the mayor of New York, uh, Giuliani, and before him, appointing two members uh, of that board. So you had that iteration. Then you had this education panel when Bloomberg and Klein took over New York City schools. Then I experienced the seven-member elected board in Rochester, and then an appointed board um, in, um, in in Chicago. Let me just say, first of all, that I think we have a governance issue in America that we need to talk about much more. And I don't think any one structure um, is, it works. But if you were to ask me, if I had to pick one, uh, I'm going to always pick uh, having a, an appointed board uh, with a mayor. It just made the politics uh, a little bit easier, um, not necessarily simpler, but a little bit easier. Let me explain why. Uh, and I'm not saying, by the way, that you cannot have issues with mayoral control or you cannot have issues or even have a good school board that's elected. Uh, certainly had had a few amazing board members in Rochester, and I can point to elected school boards in parts of America that really are doing an amazing job of, of running a school district. You can have dysfunction at all levels, which is my point. Um, but the reason I find the, the appointed board in our mayoral control a bit simpler or easier, I should say, um, is that you have one individual um, to whom you really have to make sure you work with and get 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 to get aligned. While we have, when, when you have an elected board, you may have seven or nine members, and in some cases they are elected along party lines, um, like they are in, in Rochester, uh, but they're all Democratic. But some cities have Republicans and Democrats. It just makes the politics a bit more complex bit, uh, because you are dealing with individuals who are beholden to different constituencies, uh, different sectors of the city in some cases. Um, so it's a bit like herding cats when you're dealing with that kind of structure. Um, you know, 
um, in Rochester, for instance, whenever we had a particular a board action or resolution or, or initiative we had to get through, it really was one person at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get to sell. Uh, in Chicago, you know, the board was important, and it's a powerful board, very smart board here in Chicago. Um, but frankly, you know, you go to the mayor, you make sh- sure that things are, uh, he's aligned to that particular kind of thinking, um, and of course you engage the board at the same time. But ultimately, uh, the person who really has to go out and carry the flag um, is the mayor. Um, so I'm not saying it's it's the better structure, but certainly from my experience, I find that a bit easier. Uh, but again, you can have this function at any in any structure at any level. Do I still have you, Perkins? I'm yes. sorry, I lost you there for for about oh, uh, five okay. seconds. Yes, yes. Um, I, I was saying that um, I've worked with with both kinds of boards, but mostly. Dr. Perkins? Hello? Are we, yes, are we having difficulty? I'm, Can you? Yes, I'm, I'm on the land line. I'm some, I'm, I should have a good connection. Oh, okay. Um, I, I apologize uh, to our audience. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Uh, I can. You're breaking up every once in a while, though. What I was saying is that uh, we've had um, quite a bit of uh, uh, of issues um historically um with with interest uh, is where i was going yes. with it and and there are uh special interest groups that that happen to influence different and it doesn't matter sometimes appointed boards sometimes elected boards um it it, it seems as though the push though um uh, nationally is uh in preference of an elected board um and and just my experience though just having been on an appointed board i would have to agree with your assessment um um a lot of times you will find that the the people uh are different um that you get on a, a appointed board than you get with a an elected board at least in my experience and and so um there seems to be more political deliberation about issues of hiring and and discipline or yes. others yes. uh yes. than you have on an elected board where individuals are protecting members of the community and and by no means am i saying this is uh widespread or it's always the case but it just seems um as though this is something that um certainly plagues elect, elected boards um um and 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 but there you know each board has its own makeup its own uh, its yes. own um personality so to speak um uh, one of the things that we we're doing um as you're aware I'm the uh, director of the urban education leaders program at teachers college and one really um um central tenet of our program um of of the six is political acumen um that yes. we we make sure that our students uh have experience on the role of the community in education and so I just wanted you to speak just a little bit to sure. um where you got um your you honed your skills in political acumen um uh, uh so that we can get a sense of what's required now of 
of the superintendent. I don't know if you can hear me because you're breaking up a bit yes. again. Yes, but but what what you what you're saying is is so important because so much of what we learn as leaders is around pedagogy and curriculum, teacher training, principal development, etc., or even financial, um, 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 you know, um, um, the world of, of school budgets. But what often is missing, I think, in, 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 in the training of superintendents is, is the ability to do the political mapping to make sure that when you want to get something through, um, that you've got to do the right kind, the requisite engagement, whether it be community, elected officials, et cetera. What's interesting about urban education is that, first of all, it's public. It belongs to the public. So it's a bit messy. I tell people democracy is messy, so we've got to deal with it. Um, and if you have an elected board, um, you've got to really understand the, 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 the individuals and, and what they are passionate about. Um, one of the things I've, I've learned, um, not just from um, the programs I graduated from, the Broad Foundation Program, um, the University of New York, but also from colleagues, people who have done the job for a very long time, um, who have been invaluable to me in terms of teaching me how to do that kind of work better. Um, I can point to a number of sitting superintendents who were my mentors and people who um, taught me um, how to, um, one, do the mapping, to identify the key constituents you've got to get to, uh, to make sure you do the requisite upfront work, otherwise you're not going to be successful. Um, so, like I said, with, 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 with the mayoral-appointed board, um, it's a bit easier because you, you can target the, this person's politics or, and, and or what they're looking for. With seven members who are elected, like it was in Rochester, um, it was very important to get to know them individually, what they're passionate about, who they, who they are, um, are beholden to. Um, whether it be noble or not, but to make sure you know that you're covering your bases. Um, otherwise, this job can be can be can be deadly. Yes, no, no. I, I certainly understand that, and and um, and we know that uh, you, if you can't understand um, the the role of politics, it's it, you're dead in the water. Um, you know, um, one of the things that happened. Um, unfortunately, under your um, um, leadership in Chicago, was the uh, the strike, um, yes. and and so there, the people have said uh, have have pointed fingers and put blame all over the place, and so just wanted you to share with the audience a little bit, essentially, um, what happened with the strike. What you know, what were some yeah. of the major points in the dispute? You know, one of the um, interesting things about the strike in Chicago is as I walked the city during the strike, and you may have seen this um, in print, um, I actually spent about four or five days just, just driving around the city talking to teachers directly on the picket line. Um, some called it stupid, some called it brave, uh, but for me it was something I had to do just to get a better understanding of really what was going on. And prior to that, I spent the better part of 10 months talking to nearly 17,000 teachers across the city. But what what I heard, if you talk to 20 teachers across the city at the time, you get anywhere from 10 to 25 different reasons as to why people were on strike. So there weren't always a unified or unified reasons. But what you felt and what what came across to me anyway was a level of anger uh, amongst the, the rank and file 
that really was 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 palpable. You can you can feel it, you can touch it, and the anger existed prior to the strike. And in some ways, I think what we did was to remove the lid um, from a long-standing anger um, um, in the city. One that is racial, that is political. That, I mean, you yeah. name it. Uh, people have been a part of it, and also the fact that there was reform fatigue in Chicago around school closures, uh, um, turnarounds, uh, multiple CEOs, uh, and, and I saw, felt and saw this. So the, the, the public reason, one of the big ones you saw in the news, had to do with teacher evaluation. Frankly, we were we had closed that loop in January of last year. Um, we did, it was a collaborative process with the union in developing a new teacher evaluation system. Uh, somehow made its way back to um, the the negotiating table back in in June and July. But what I what I felt was that um, Karen Lewis was the head of the union and and the delegate uh, assembly, the folks who actually run the entire union, um, had an anger toward the administration. Um, toward the mayor at times and toward the district that made me feel toward the end that no matter what we had done, there, were, there was going to be a strike in Chicago because they, they wanted to make a state. They wanted to make a statement because the anger was so, so deep. Sure. sure. And, and um, I, I just want to uh, point out uh, to our uh, listeners that we we're going to take calls in just a minute. I see the, the phones are lighting up a little bit here. We want to get calls in. Uh, the number, again, you can call in now, 347-826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. We'll take them on a first-come, first-served basis. Um, I want to get back to you on that um, because um, one of the things that here in Connecticut, um, as well as New York, where you were previously superintendent, um, there are state laws in place um, that move along the collective bargaining process in such a way that an impasse is impossible. You know, it's, it's not, you know, according to state law, certain uh, agreements must be met to avoid uh, a teacher strike. And unfortunately, that's not the case in Illinois. But um, yes. I can uh, certainly emphasize with you on, this, on that point about, um, in some cases, um, uh, the, the individuals who are on these teams um, during negotiating, have already decided that they are that nothing will be enough. Um, mm -hmm. I can recall when um, I never will forget uh, when I was in, on the board in New Haven. Uh, we had an issue uh, years ago where um, the teachers union bargained out of uh, having coverage for the families of new hires for the first four years. Okay, so. Well, um, and so what that meant was that the people who they didn't know yet that were first that that are going to be coming into the system said we'll cover them we'll, we'll allow you to cover them but um, it'll save you let's say four million dollars um, and so you give us two and you take two of that four million and we'll put it in the we'll put it in the pot well um, the board said okay that's what you want we'll we, we'll take that. Um, and what, what we realized, and I was president of the board at the time, is that later is that it was a bad, it was a good decision, but not a good moral decision to do that. Yes. And so what happened was although the union was the one that negotiated it out, we should have never allowed that. 
and 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 when it when the story was told, the union went back to rank and file members and actually said, "Well, you know, look at the the bad boy, the bad mayor, because they uh, they took away your uh, coverage for the first years." And our point was, "But you negotiated it out." And so there was really nothing for us to do because it created such bad faith and bad blood that we gave it back. And so we, in fact, ended up, quote, unquote, losing. Um, But it was something that in some cases, um, the story, what I've learned from being out talking to the rank-and-file members, they were completely unaware that it had been negotiated out. They weren't. They hadn't been told the complete story. So I, I, I certainly understand what you're saying. Absolutely. And if I, if I just, I, you, made, you made a really good point. Whenever I hear people talk about contracts and at times blaming the union for a bad contract, I tell folks that, you know, two two groups of people signed this. Not, not just the union, you know, exactly. the, the superintendent exactly. and, and the board signed it too. So both yeah. of them are guilty. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're going to take uh, some calls now. We have uh, about 10 minutes left, and if we can come back, we will. Um, I have a call, looks like, from uh, um, Chicago Area Code 312. Um, let's get that caller on caller from 312. Uh, please give us your name um, and ask your question or provide your comment. Hi, this is Clarice. Um, I am from Chicago. I'm also here um, with one of my colleagues, Jessica. And um, uh, we have actually two questions for uh, for you, Mr. Brizard. I think um, the first one revolves actually around um, sort of the portfolio district or strategy um, that has been um, sort of rolled out or was started, you know, was starting to be rolled out um, under your administration. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why you decided to take that approach um, and, and how how effective you, you think it's been to date? You know, um, so the, the portfolio idea in Chicago, I think, has been around for um, for a while. Um, let me, so let me just say, first of all, I'm a huge proponent of school choice. In fact, right now I'm sitting in a school in, in Chicago. It happens to be a charter school I'm visiting in the city. Uh, huge proponent of school choice. So the idea behind the portfolio district includes equity and funding for all schools, no matter what the governance structure is. Um, it talks about really providing access to parents across the city to good quality schools. Um, it hasn't always been done well in Chicago, frankly, and one of the things we were pushing was to make sure that the accountability amongst all school types, the transparency for all school types existed, at the same in the same token, the kind of support all of them needed to be successful existed. So it really was one in providing choice, didn't care about the governance structure, could be a good neighborhood school, um, selective enrollment, um, uh, which we have here in Chicago, or charter schools. But the fact is that the accountability and the, the access was when we were pushing, of course, the equity in funding, the equity in support was when we were pushing in earnest. And we thought that really was what people wanted in terms of good access to good neighborhood schools. And it was one we are pushing and making happy in earnest. I'm not sure what the direction will be um, beyond my administration, but certainly we're looking to provide access to parents across the city to good quality schools. Okay, thank you. And then there was another question. Yes. Yeah. Hi, this is Jessica. We wanted, you know, some additional insight on your thoughts regarding the moratorium uh, proposition, you know, in next year regarding pool closures and then having a five-year moratorium after that. So, Jessica, I don't know exactly what, um, as you you can probably, as you know, I've not been part of the discussions here for the last four or five weeks. 
So, I, and then, of course, this announcement was made um, post uh, post departure. But I can tell you that the way in which we're approaching the work initially was one in engaging communities very deeply, um, going into parts of the city where we knew we had um, issues of half enrolled schools, issues of quality and sitting with this group that we had created called the Community Action Councils and, and giving them the problem, handing over the problem to them and say, look, you've got X number of schools that are not enrolled. You've got X number of schools that are not performing. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, you may have a charter or two who wants to come into your community. What do you want to do? And we, we actually gave them control of the problem. And what we found in about six communities that we had engaged in over the course of a year was really phenomenal. Um, once we gave the ownership to community, we found that people really engaged us in a meaningful way. The challenge that we had, of course, was that we didn't have that kind of leadership in every part of the city, um, and we had difficulty finding the right group to engage. But in those places that we had that, uh, good things actually happened. So I'm not sure um, what this promise is, um, but what I would like to see is that we engage and, and try to fix things once and for all in a particular community and not say close and then come back and do something second. Does that make sense? Um, but really engage in a meaningful way once and for all and fix what is happening in that part of the city. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for calling in. Yes, and and you know one of the one of the real um, interesting things that happens um, when when you have schools closing. There's a lot of um, a lot of emotional um, uh, controversy that happens with with parents and and family members that have been longstanding. Uh, supporters of a particular school, and so it's not yes. it's actually not mm -hmm. easy to do that at any turn uh, but the the truth of the matter is the financial situation we find ourselves in now uh, yeah. make it um, a requirement of anyone in this position to yeah. to think carefully about how money is being spent and where you can and streamline costs. Uh, these buildings, yeah. you know, I, I've uh, told parents um, we've faced merging schools and, um, and and closing schools that you know these these buildings require heat and air conditioning and lights and it's not as simple as uh, we have the teachers. Um, we really have to consider uh, the expense uh, that goes into operating the facility as well, which is, it can be the real driver of, of the budget there as well. Well, absolutely. And if I could add to that, I don't think you're going to see a reduction in the number of, of teachers and our personnel across the city of Chicago because the number of kids remain the same. The number of buildings need, need to shrink. So the work that has to be done has to be done. But what makes the work here so much more complex is that in, in the same neighborhoods where you've had black flight out of Chicago, you've got um, a, a quality issue and you've got some serious urban decay all of which have to be addressed um, somehow. So it makes the work of the mayor, it makes the work of the new CEO very, very complex as they look to address a right-sizing issue, a quality issue, and an urban decay issue, all in the same neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Absolutely. Um, real quick, we have about three more minutes, and if we can, I just wanted to um, uh, throw out there um, the issue um, that a lot of really large systems are faced with, and that's you know, privatization, not only just in services, 
but um, uh, serv- services related to um, custodial help are in here, but also instructional um, and, and academic services um, that are being outsourced um, has been a really big part. And I, I'm not aware of any major initiatives in Chicago, although I do know, even though they are public schools, there's a growing charter school movement there. Um, yes. what, do you, what do you see as, because I, as I believe many of these things happen through politics as well, and um, what do you see as the driving force behind some of this privatization? Is it purely, um, is it purely financial, um, or are, are there some other uh, things that are going on? But I, I think more specifically, even though it's not a privatization issue, it's like the charter school movement in Chicago as well. What, what, do, you, what do you think is uh, the driving force behind a lot of this? So when you, when you look at a place like Chicago very quickly, and, and I had to create two budgets during my, my tenure, and we had to close about $1.3 billion in shortfall in, wow. in about two years. And the system is facing another billion-dollar shortfall next fiscal year. So we, we push quite a bit in terms of looking for efficiencies and different ways of doing things in terms of the operational pieces, the custodial, et cetera, in the city. Um, the issue of charter, you know, some call it privatization. For me, it's two-pronged. The vast majority of people in charters are looking to really create good where there is, there is none. But you do have a handful of people who are looking to get around the bureaucracy, um, which, which unfortunately at times sort of perpetuates or supports the idea that we're looking to break the backs of unions, we're looking to do, et cetera, which is, which is, which is unfortunate uh, because the vast majority of people involved in this work really are looking to create a better opportunity where perhaps there is there is a desert of, of good schools. But you're right, there's some who are looking to gain personally or looking to, I don't mean financially necessarily, uh, right. but looking to get around the bureaucracy and our unions who unfortunately are giving this whole movement a bad name. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show and uh, thank you to the audience for thank being you. here and, and, our, and our callers. I uh, just want to bring to your attention next month we have on the show uh, Dr. Joshua Starr, who is the superintendent in Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland. Uh, uh, Joshua served as superintendent in Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, Montgomery is a, a district that has received the Baldridge Award. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Baldridge principles and um, the what the effectiveness movement is in their district. And so uh, uh, that show will be on Wednesday, uh, January 23rd, um, same time at 2 p.m. Um, but Mr. Brazard, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I'm sure Thank you. Uh, that we're going to have a lot of buzzing out there. You've been a great uh, uh, guest for us this month, and I do want to thank you personally for agreeing to be on the show and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Um, It's a pleasure. Our audience, um, we'll see you next month again, the same time, same channel, Wednesday, January 23rd uh, at 2 p.m., and until that time, go well, stay well.